If you find it really confusing, just give yourself a break because you don't need to become an expert to be a savvy investor. And that's the key is like, you don't need to know all the talk. You don't need to land a job at Bloomberg. You can do this. Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher, and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. I'm a small town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. I teach you the tried and true secrets to building a career you adore. Shy away from the real talk? (laughs) No way. Money, hardship, growth, loss, and marketing are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with a gal pal mixed with business school. Pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. This is the Gold Digger Podcast. For the longest time, the term investing and that concept of putting my money to work beyond just a savings account was very much on the fringe of my focus. Investing kind of felt abstract and super confusing and not necessarily for me, a small town entrepreneur who was just getting started. Investing was reserved for the men in the suits with the high net worth and an advanced understanding of the stock market. Shinabu Hindert wants you to know that investing isn't just for men. In fact, more and more women are investing in the stock market as a tool to create the lifestyle that they've always wanted. But getting started and surviving the fatigue that comes with learning something new is the hardest part of the entire process. She's a certified financial planner, an author, and now the first ever Gold Digger guest to give us the Investing 101 lesson that could quite possibly change our lives. Where to start, essential strategies, setting goals, terminology. We're talking all things investing so you can get started with confidence. Please welcome Shinabu Hindert. Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Gold Digger. Focus on managing and growing your business without spending a lot of time on recruiting. LinkedIn jobs will help you hire the right person for your role and your first job post is free. Just visit linkedin.com slash gold digger. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to WordTune for supporting Gold Digger. WordTune is the first AI-powered online writing tool that understands meaning, so you can feel confident that what you're writing is as smart as you are. WordTune works anywhere you're working online, Google Docs, Slack, Outlook Web, WhatsApp, and more. Try WordTune for free at wordtune.com slash golddigger. All right. Are you ready to go? I want to welcome you on to the Gold Digger podcast. Welcome. And I'm so excited about today's topic. So happy to be here. I am pumped that you are excited about investing. Yes. Okay. So before we dive into the nitty gritty, the hows, the whys, the whats, I want to know what is your backstory? How did personal finance become a focus for you? Yeah. So my story is a bit unique, a little bit. Um, I'm a first generation American. So my father was born and raised in Kenya on the East coast of Africa. And my mother was born and raised in Japan. So back in the seventies, my mom traveled to Kenya for fun. She ended up falling in love with the culture and just stayed there. And eventually they actually both came to the United States so they could settle down together and be in New Jersey. So as I was growing up, we really didn't have family around. All of my mom's family was still in Japan. My dad's family was still in Kenya. So my dad really had these candid conversations with me about our financial picture, about 
the fact that I had no one else to rely on if something were to happen to both of them. And that was really scary as a child, but he mm-hmm. had lost both of his parents before he turned 18. And, you know, he had kids in his early 20s. So he was I think in his eyes, protecting me from what he was so traumatized by was being left to figure things out on his own and then having kids. He didn't have a ton of time to build build excess money and, and reserve. So I was having these conversations really early on, and it was great in one sense because it I was more aware if my parents were tight on money, I knew not to ask for, you know, back to school clothes. And when yeah. it was time for me that it was okay that we didn't have things. But the other thing that it did was created a lot of fear that I had around money, that I always felt like it was whatever was never going to be enough. So even if I did chores or I got my first jobs, I would literally take cash. I would put them in these envelopes and then I would take the extra step and I would hide them in my house. And it got to a point where I would actually lose them. So I'd be like, well, where's this $30 that I had? And I want to buy this like new CD that's coming out. And I couldn't find it. But as I went to college and, you know, in college, you have, for me anyway, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I got a bunch of different jobs, internships to see, you know, where I would land. And I started interning at Smith Barney that was close to my school. And I loved it every day. It was different. I felt like I wasn't punching the clock in and out. It was fast paced. It was always changing. And then I really was like, wait a minute. Yes, my parents told me that it's good to save money, but I this investing stuff is like a black hole. What the heck is the stock market? And even though I was a business major in college and economics, they were teaching me this stuff. So I was like open to a whole new world. And I said, okay, it was really partially fear that I took this job and curiosity, the fear that I was like, something inevitably terrible is going to happen to me and I'm going to need to know how to bounce back financially. And so I was kind of preparing for this doomsday just based on the kind of childhood experiences that I had. And then also is the curiosity of like, I, I really want to get to know this information. It was just so new to me. So that, that excited me. I love that you share that piece of your story. And it's it's actually so ironic. My mom and I were literally just talking about this topic the other day in terms of children and being aware of finances because my mom always called me an old soul and shared a lot about our family's financial situation with me, which at the time was really tight. And so I was raised with that awareness too. And I'm just curious like we're going off topic here, but how has your own experience influenced the way that you want to share financial stuff with your children? Because I think I tell my mom, sometimes I think I was scarred by it a little bit and it really created some crippling money mindsets. But then it also like drove me to really create that financial independence and to value that feeling. And so have you thought about that at all? Yeah. And I think especially now, because we have Amazon Prime, I'm going to blame them for everything. <laughs> we can get anything. You know, when I was yeah. a kid and we had to go to the store, my dad used to just drive me around to distract me if I wanted a doll. He'd be like, yeah, right, like, get in the car. I was going to drive up the street and turn around and go home. <laughs> and I would be like, no, the store's that way. But with our kids, it's like, you know, my son, he broke a little police 
car. And he's like, oh, it's all right. We'll just get a new one. <laughs> and it really like stabbed me in the heart. I'm like, oh gosh, what, what am I doing here? So I, I do think it's really important to share with them the cost of things and yeah. also to share with them what working's like and that I enjoy work too, because I don't want them to look at work as this drag. I enjoy what I do and to show them like, Hey, we do these things. We can get rewarded with these other things for our lifestyle. So I, I'm going to continue to talk about those things, the cost of things, definitely have them do chores for money, um, buy some small things here, but, and I guess kind of deal with the repercussions of the whatever trauma I'm giving them later. <laughs> right. I know. I think part of parenting is understanding we're totally going to mess up, but hopefully we don't mess up too bad. But I want to know, so how you started getting curious about, you know, personal finance and investing. What do you do today? Like give us kind of that, you know, 30,000 overview of what that journey was like from that curiosity that now led to where you are today. Yeah. So the start of it was really, I think it was kind of reflective of my childhood, you know, growing up in Northern New Jersey, I didn't look like anyone else, you know, and quite frankly, I didn't even really look like my parents because I was a mix between the two of them. So I kind of always felt like a little bit on the outside. And I always, all I want when you're a kid is to fit in. It was like all I, I cared about and my name, right. I have like kind of a funny name. And so when I would tell people, Oh, my name's Shinabu. They'd go, oh, like Shamu. And I'm mm. like, oh, you're kind of missing a half a dozen letters, but sure, let's go with Shamu. And so I would get that on a number of occasions. So, you know, if you picture a little girl and people keep telling me that, I'm thinking, oh, Shamu must be this like really cool actress. Maybe it's like a runway model. I like do some research and I'm like, wait a minute, this is the name of a theme park whale. So I'm like <laughs> going home crying all the time. Like, why did you guys name me after a whale? Just so dramatic. And to my parents, it was really important that I understood that my name wasn't just a name. It was part of my heritage, part of my culture, where I came from. And I think that I was really born out of their resiliency to move to countries, to be together in the United States and to kind of just be the underdog for their, their lives. And they really wanted me to have that confidence. So when I wanted to have a career in personal finance, it was as a financial planner. That was what my desire was. And when I looked around there really were, you know, less than a handful of female financial advisors. It was all men and the women were in the support role. So I was initially really given a lot of these support roles and I'm like, great, but how do I get to the next level? And then the conversations would stop. It was almost like, we're, we're not going to entertain that with you. And then I kept seeing other men be able to come in from college and get these sales roles. And I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. Now I realize we have the same level of experience and schooling, but I'm just always getting passed over. So I think that resiliency that I grew up with, I was more okay with that rejection when I was in the workforce. Cause I was kind of used to it. Like this is just how things are going to be. And but I did start to like kind of internalize that a little bit and had a chip on my shoulder of like, I want people to recognize me. I want to be going to give in these roles. I'm not getting them. And I just kept hitting a brick wall with that. And I started to realize like, I can't expect the industry. I can't expect all these people to meet me where I'm at. I'm going to mm -hmm. have to do some internal work here to meet them where they're at. And so for that, it was education. 
remain. And not just being a financial advisor in terms of selling financial products, but becoming a certified financial planner, where you really get to dig into the why, the impact of everything that you're all the financial products. Like, what does that mean from a tax perspective? What does that mean from an estate planning perspective? What's the short-term impact these decisions have now versus later? And that really is where I got drawn in and had a, a really big passion for what I was doing. And once you get that credibility, it's, it's kind of hard for people to say no to you anymore because at the time <laughs> that I had it, not that many people were getting that certification. So that drive to help people not just sell a product, but really have them change their lives and give them that financial security is what really, really changed the game for me. Mm. So powerful how you, you know, took this curiosity, turned it into a passion and then took that and made a profession where you get to share that with other people. I think that's just such a beautiful example of, of how, you know, our passions can turn into careers. And I love that. I need to know. Okay. So there was so many investing stories last year. There was like GameStop and cryptocurrency and there's all these weird terminologies and things happening. And it feels like, at least to me, that investing is getting more accessible for everyday people versus just, you know, the businessmen in their suits. Do you agree? Like, what do you think is kind of happening? What is the climate that we're experiencing in terms of investing these days? Yeah, there's so much accessibility now. So when I first started, there were so many barriers in place in terms of high fees. There were high account minimums that you needed to have. And that's a lot of that has gone away. So I think mm -hmm. for many of us, there's like two barriers that we set up. The first is our internal barriers. We kind of tell ourselves like, oh, I'll invest when I have more money or I can't invest right now because I have debt or I'm not good with numbers. And then the second part of that was companies were just kind of old fashioned. You didn't know who to go to, where to set that up. So my company that I've created, Empowered Planning, I did it to fill in this gaping hole that we had in resources between people that have money versus people like me who are in the process of building that wealth. So I think as a collective, we've been really loud and asking for alignment within the financial industry that's really closer to our beliefs, our value system, and it's working. The industry is listening. So you have these large companies that are now offering you know, no account minimums, no trading fees. You can trade on your phone. You can just roll over in bed and start trading. So it has become really accessible. And, you know, obviously there's good and bad with that. But yes, it's like anybody can invest now. So you touched on a really important point that I want to kind of dive into. And I think it's kind of one of those lies that a lot of people tell themselves, myself included, you know, it's that lie of like, I'll invest once I have paid XYZ off or I'll invest once I have saved up X amount of money. And we kind of delay that process of even just simply starting. And so I want to know, like if someone's listening, no matter what income level they're at, can they start investing now? Yes, anyone can start investing at any income level. There are you know places that don't have account minimums. And again, some of the trading costs are very small or they're completely gone. So if you're 
you know, doing research with the company and you go, wait a minute, they're charging me all these fees. Just look again. There's lots of other options out there. But what I would say before you start investing is that you want to make sure you have a solid financial foundation. So, you know, things like an emergency fund or having consistent income, because if the point of investing is to leverage what you have and grow your money, you need to give your investment space to do that. So for example, let's say I have some cash, it's sitting in a savings account and I'm getting like close to 0%, right? I say, okay, I want to invest this. I invest that money in the stock market's kind of going up and down. And then I have an unexpected expense come up. Let's say it's my water heater goes out because I actually think that's going to happen any day now. <laughs> um, and now I don't have cash in my savings account. So now you have to go to your investment and sell it. And it really depends. Is it up or down? If the investment's down and you sell it, then really all that happened was I lost money in a short period of time. So you yeah. want to make sure that you have the bandwidth to be investing, but there does not need to be you don't need to be making X amount of income. It's really what does your financial situation look like? Yeah, I think that's such powerful advice. And I think, you know, the same goes for like giving back and making donations and things like that. I think so often we set these parameters for ourselves that maybe are out of reach or unrealistic or or future forward. But I think there's something really, really powerful too when we almost create systems within our income, no matter what level we're at, where we just start to grow confidence in those decisions and maybe even remove the money before it ever hits our accounts so that we live on the amount that's in there and we start kind of you know, planning forward and thinking forward with the way that our money is both giving back and growing for us. So I think that's super, super powerful. Okay. So here's something that always trips me up and I never, ever want to even have like investing conversations because there are so many like terminologies and concepts. And I think like the average person just doesn't understand or feel like they can, you know, hold a strong conversation on them. What are some of the key terms and concepts that that are super important to understand before someone gets started with investing. Yeah. So let's just like call out the whole industry. There is so <laughs> much financial jargon that's out there. And then the tricky part is even within that financial talk is within the industry, we use different or the same term for different things. So it like yep. depends how you use it in a sentence. And so that can get really confusing. What I would say is if you find it really confusing, just give yourself a break because you don't need to become an expert to be a savvy investor. And that's the key is like, you don't need to know all the talk. You don't need to land a job at Bloomberg. You can do this. So some of the key terms I would, I definitely want to differentiate between a stock versus a bond and a mutual fund. So, you know, when you own a stock, it's just shares of ownership in a publicly traded company. And what's nice is when that company's share price goes up, you're making money. Now, people really don't talk about bonds because they're typically boring. And, but the bond market is actually much bigger than the stock market. So the bond when you buy a bond, you're essentially loaning money to a company that's going to pay you interest for a set period of time. So it's kind of like the opposite of you getting a mortgage. You're essentially letting this company borrow the money. Now, mutual funds and exchange traded funds are these vehicles that they created that are made up of a basket of stocks and bonds or some kind of financial security inside of them. So these are great options because they typically have a really low maintenance cost and you're getting 
some risk management in there because it's a combination of a few different stocks or bonds, not just owning one. And they're really readily accessible. So those are typically what you'd see if you had a 401k at a company or if you're old employer, your new employer, they typically are offering you these mutual funds inside of them. I like to make the differentiation between stock and a mutual fund because inside of the mutual fund, you can own a basket of stocks. And a lot of times people say, I have stocks or I have a mutual fund and they are different, different things. So that's where diversification comes in. So this diversification is super important because you essentially want to spread out the risk that you have. So if you have your first investment, you're like, I got $10,000. I'm going to buy some stocks with it. You might buy three different companies. You're like, okay, well, I heard Apple's good and I heard Google's good and I heard Facebook's good. So in your mind, you're thinking you're spreading out the risk because you own three different companies, but actually you're owning three companies that are all within the same area of the stock market, which is called large growth. So diversification is really just spreading out your risk. So you're not kind of placing bets in one areas of the market. And the, the last thing I'll leave you with is a brokerage account. So that's essentially just a trading account, an account you can use to buy and sell stocks or buy and sell mutual funds. So you can't do that in a savings account. And people kind of get tripped up on the terminology when they go to open an account. They're like, what the heck is a brokerage account? Do I need that? So you do need that if you want to trade and buy and sell stocks. So I'd say about 80% of the work we do in my business is based in writing. Social media captions, blog posts, emails, ad copy. So many words come out of this team. And sometimes even on our best days, we hit writer's block and need a little help wordsmithing a better sentence to convey a stronger point. So I started experimenting with Wordtune, honestly slightly skeptical that an AI-powered writing tool could be as effective as they claim. And I was shocked and super excited to see my words remixed and refined with the help of Wordtune. It understands what you're trying to say and suggests ways to make your writing more clear, compelling, and authentic. Wordtune works anywhere you're working online, Google Docs, Slack, Outlook Web, WhatsApp, and more. And it's ideal for professional writers looking for an edge, managers aiming to make their point perfectly, or really anyone whose writing could use an occasional tune-up. My listeners can try Wordtune for free at wordtune.com slash golddigger. Get help writing your emails, reports, presentations, resumes, blogs, and more today. Head to wordtune, W-O-R-D-T-U-N-E dot com slash gold digger. Today, many small business owners are busier than ever. Some of those small business owners could really benefit from hiring some help, but recruiting often becomes a full-time job in and of itself. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to find and hire the best candidates for free. Get started by posting your job for free to reach LinkedIn's network of 740 million professionals. Fill out targeted screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified candidates with the experience, skills, and motivation you need. Then it's easy to filter and prioritize the top candidates that you'd like to interview. If you've heard me talk about my hiring process before, you know that I like to move quick and I've made all of my recent hires on LinkedIn in seven days or less because it's just that streamlined and I was able to find the perfect person without sifting through endless resumes. LinkedIn Jobs will help you hire the right person for your role. Did you know every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? 
Post your first job for free at linkedin.com slash gold digger. That's linkedin.com slash gold digger to get your first job post for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, that was super helpful. I feel like that was just like education one-on-one on this. (laughs) And I want to know, so like we personally have worked with one person who manages our stocks and the purchasing and does all of that. And we touch base with them once a month and we can pull up our reports at any point. What are some of the advantages or disadvantages of managing it on your own versus having someone that is kind of advising you and making those decisions for you? Because I think sometimes, you know, for me personally, I don't have the time to invest in the knowledge or maybe I don't, not even time. It's not even time. I don't have the interest to invest in learning all of the comings and goings and what's doing great and what's falling apart. And so can you kind of walk through the differences between managing yourself and doing the buying and trading? yourself versus hiring someone to do it for you? Yeah. So this kind of goes into different layers because the way that the financial industry is set up is a lot of like in my old role, you know, I was managing a book of client assets of over $350 million. And that was me doing a lot of the advising or putting them in kind of these managed accounts that were getting treated for them based on their needs. That's one way. And so I wasn't getting paid per transaction. It's not like every time someone called me, I was charging them. They, I was charging what's called kind of a wrap fee where people okay. pay 1% for the total assets that we're managing. So that's a great option if you have the assets. So, yeah. you know, those minimums might be a million dollars. Now, if you don't have that yet, but let's say you're a high income earner and you just don't have the assets, it's going to be difficult to find an advisor that's going to sit down with you, go through all of these things when they're saying, okay, well, how much do you have to invest today? And you're like, yeah. well, I got 50,000, but I make a million dollars a year. They're like, cool, call me in 20 years. So <laughs> even... You, so you can get like a fee only planner. We'll, they'll do a financial plan for you. What I do with my company is I take people through a course through my academy that essentially they can create their own financial plan. And then cool. within that, there's so many, because the industry has made it so accessible, there's so many different funds or plans that you can choose that you don't need to have kind of a middleman advisor. You can just go in there and say, okay, I have a goal of retirement. Here's how much, how aggressive I feel, or here's what my financial situation looks like. And you can pick a fund that essentially has 80, 90% of it in stock. And Mm. then you can say, well, and I actually want to do some home renovations in six years. I have this bucket of money. And then you can pick a fund that maybe has 40% stock in there. And you can do that directly. You don't need a person trading that for you. So that's also what's really changed within the industry. So even if you're, quote, doing it yourself, you can still kind of outsource the day-to-day management. You're just the one saying, here's my goal. This is what that looks like. If you have the asset level, I would say like you're getting over half a million dollars. I would absolutely lean on a financial advisor, a financial planner to walk you through how you should be invested. Because if you lose that, it's going to be devastating. If you have, you know, if you're building it on your own, sometimes the fees don't necessarily make up for the value that you're getting. So I know that's kind of a loaded answer, but it is the industry is kind of complex in that sense. Yeah, no, that's a super helpful, super helpful answer. 
So what would you say, let's say somebody's listening and they're like, okay, I have X amount of money in my savings account. I want to be, you know, using my money to earn more than just say those interest rates that are usually very close to zero. What would be the crucial first step in exploring which options are best for a listener? Yeah. So the first thing that I would recommend when you're looking at investing is to figure out what your goal for that money is. So it's kind of similar when you have a new business idea, you kind of get out the vision, you know what you want it to look like, and then you essentially reverse engineer it and create the steps to make that happen. And you want to treat your investments the same way. So first, be really clear, what is the goal for that investment? And once you know your goal, you want to break it down into these three key areas. The first one is, what's your time frame? So when do you actually need to spend that money? The second thing is, what is your tolerance for risk? So how comfortable are you with market fluctuation? Are you like not paying attention to it that much? It doesn't bother you? Or do you freak out every time the market drops, your account (laughs) value drops, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't sleep. And then third, what's your overall financial situation? So you can use those three points to figure out your investment options. So if it's money that you need in a few years from now, maybe let's say even in two years from now, maybe that shouldn't be invested versus money that you need in 10 years from now. But following those three steps will take you to a point where you're saying, okay, this should be about half in stocks, half in bonds. And this is all stuff that's in my book that I teach in the academy because as much as I want to simplify it, it's also a little bit more, there's some extra steps before you actually pick an investment. Yeah. It's so cool because I've been having so many more conversations about investing with my parents because they just retired. And so it's super interesting to kind of look at how risk averse we are or how we're kind of playing the stock market and what that looks like. And I think it is so powerful to be super realistic about what your expectations are, when you're going to need money, any big life events coming up that might kind of influence the like liquidity of, of you know, you need to pull money out tomorrow versus 10 years from now. And I think that that's such a powerful reminder too, for people to at least be thinking forward, not that you have to have your whole life planned out, but being realistic about any big purchases or expenses that might be coming up. Because I think no one wants to be caught off guard when it comes to financials. What would you say for beginners who are risk averse and maybe explain risk averse just for people if this is new language for them. Yeah. So if you're a beginner and you're risk averse, just you're not comfortable with the risk gap because you don't have a lot of experience with it, or maybe you did have an experience with investing and it didn't go well. So your kind of gut reaction is going, I don't really think this is a good idea. Cash is safe. It doesn't move. I can touch it. (laughs) You know, it's kind of this, (laughs) this steady and stable thing. And we can't can't see inflation, right? If you put $1,000 in your bank account in 10 years from now, it might be $1,000 plus some change with interest, but you can't see, okay, that $1,000 now today can only buy me $700 worth of something on your statement. It's not going negative $300 for inflation. You just see, I have $1,000. I have $1,000. It's different when you're investing. Those balances are going to jump all over the place and that can feel really uncomfortable. So What I would recommend is dollar cost averaging into a diversified mutual fund. So you're not picking one stock and saying, I'm going to put all my money in this stock because that is risky. You have the risk of the company, maybe somebody at the company saying the wrong thing or they do the wrong thing and the stock could plummet. You have industry risk 
like when COVID first hit, everybody in the travel industry was suffering. It didn't matter if they were a good company on paper. It was just associated with that industry. And then third, you always are subjected to market risk. The market's just going to have fluctuation in it. So I would pick an amount that you're comfortable putting towards an investment every single month. So let's just say it's $100 every two weeks, then you're automatically setting that up. So Jenna, kind of what you said is it's not even hitting your bank account. You're Mm -hmm. automatically putting it in. It's automatically purchasing. And so when you're doing that on a regular basis, you're getting the kind of average of what the market's doing and you're not putting all your money in one day and then it's dropping the next day. Yes. You know, it's funny too, because I remember when we had started investing, we had, you know, a decent amount of money to start with. And the person who was doing our investing, like did it very slowly. And I just assumed, you know, you take all that big chunk and just throw it on in there. And it was this very like slow process. And it was really methodical. And then I started to learn, you know, you don't want to just go all in on one day. And then the next day it drops, you want to kind of watch for those trends and, and kind of understand where things are headed. And I think that's a good, good piece of permission for people to go slow. You know, you can can absolutely start slow and start getting your footing and start understanding and learning. And just like with everything else, I think, you know, progress is progress, no matter how slow it is. I think it's, it's, you know, forward motion, which is so beautiful. Yeah. And you can get to know yourself as an investor after you're doing that for some time, you're going to go, okay, actually, you know, I really don't look at this or I'm looking at this every single day. I'm more interested interested in this. It's becoming more of a hobby for me. You're going to get to know yourself as an investor. And when you mentioned your parents transitioning to retirement, that's that's a very difficult plug to pull when people are like, okay, I'm going to walk away from this income. I have a nest egg that I now need to rely on. So I kind of look at now, like we're in boot camp for retirement, you know, like (laughs) this is it. We got to learn how things work because when you are retiring and you don't have consistent income coming in, you really can't make a mistake. You know, you got to be really careful. We're now like we can screw up and we have time to fix it. And then they don't yes. have to be big screw ups, but you also want to be able to have conversations with a financial advisor in the future and feel like, okay, I'm not an expert, but I feel comfortable asking these questions because I have this experience. Yeah. I want to know, Shinabu, now that you are an adult and at, you know, this this new kind of stage of life, do you still have financial conversations with your parents? Because I think, you know, looking back, like if we circle back to the beginning of our conversation and our parents were maybe a little more outward and a little more expressive in sharing financial situations, I also think it kind of opens a door now as adults to have different conversations about financials that maybe other people people haven't been invited into in different settings, whether it's with family or friends. Yeah, I do. Because I am concerned, you know, we don't have right now, there's the amount of baby boomers that are retiring, about 50% of them do not have pensions. So we actually, as a country, have never seen a generation retire that didn't predominantly have pensions. So my mom has a small pension. My dad doesn't. They're a perfect example of a couple who's kind of going into retirement with partially having to do this all on their own. So as a country, we're not really going to see what this means probably for another 15 years. And then we're going to start to see the data. And then all of a sudden, if you think about for you and I, 15 years later, it's not too late to catch up, but it's like, oh my gosh, I should have been doing this earlier. So having, I absolutely have to have those conversations with them because they weren't 
in that into investing. They had investments, but they were more not wanting to carry debt, wanting to pay for things yeah. in cash, like that kind of money mindset versus let's really take a look, deep look at investing. So now that they have to take their savings and turn it into sustainable income, yes, I'm having those conversations with them. And you know, it's kind of funny because I, I think partially they respect what I do for a living, but then they're mm-hmm. like, you're our daughter. Like, <laughs> yes, like you're yes. just our daughter. So. <laughs> but, but we do, we do have those yeah. conversations. It is, you know, it's so interesting. I wish just like you were talking about at the beginning, you know, in college, I was also a business major. And before we graduated, we have to, had to take like a personal finance class, which was amazing. Like my mom actually recently found my budget from back in 2010, <laughs> while I was crunching numbers of, you know, student loans and that entry level salary and all of that. But investing was never a part of the equation, which makes me very much pause in the sense of, you know, we're slightly getting better at empowering people in terms of personal finance. I personally think that before people graduate high school or ever get a credit card, there should be personal finance classes. But investment is still not really a part of the equation. And specifically for women, what are you most excited about these days that, you know, is evidence for all of us and hope for all of us that a shift is happening and is alive for women investors or women who are curious about investing? I mean, I even think you having me on this platform, there is like <laughs> such an appetite for this. But when I first yeah. started in the industry and I would tell people what I did, the reaction was like, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, uh, how can cool. you do that? Yeah, like, why are you doing that? That sounds boring. Um, yeah. I hate numbers. You know, it's just kind of this like yucky thing that I did. And then as time happened, I had my son and I was at that time working as a financial educator, but I was traveling two weeks out of the the month or even one week out of the month. And I was like, this isn't sustainable. This isn't the life that I want to have. I tried to look for part-time jobs in the industry and they didn't exist. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, I either have to work 50 hours a week and not see my family as much as I'd like, or I can't be employed. And that Mm -hmm. really pissed me off because Mm -hmm. I'm like, I've been working really hard trying to establish myself. And now I have to just step away from this. So I was thinking about starting my own business. And as soon as I stopped working, my phone just blew up. It was like everyone that I knew started calling me and they were like, Hey, I got a question. And all of these questions just started coming out and they were primarily around investing. And so I'm like, wait a minute, all nobody knows this stuff and everyone's so interested. So they would ask me like, okay, this is great. Where can I get more information? And I would go and I do some research online and I'm like, geez, I could send you to like six different places and you can try to piece some articles together. But gosh, there really isn't a platform for you to get all of this information. So I created my company, Empowered Planning, or yeah, Empowered Planning to service that. And the welcoming that I've been getting from so many different communities, from so many different women, it really is showing me there is a thirst for this knowledge. People want that information. And I feel like it's about to blow up. It's like, we want it, we're asking for it. And, you know, women, there's this transfer of wealth that's happening in the country as well, that women are, you know, going to own more than 50% of the wealth in the country. So Mm. it's like, hey, we we want some more answers. We want some information. And I think, being loud about it and people asking about it 
is really what's making the difference. And it's just so exciting. (laughs) It is. It is so exciting. Where can everybody find you and connect with you and learn more about what you do and access all of your incredible resources and information that you've created? I think the first place would be my website. It's empoweredplanning.com. And then I hang out a lot on Instagram. That's empowered underscore planning. And just ask. I know that it's a website or when you're online, sometimes it doesn't feel that human, but I am behind the scenes there. So feel free, (laughs) reach out, ask questions. And I just want to get the, all these conversations started. Oh, thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing your story and your expertise. I think, you know, like you said, there is so much curiosity here and I think we're almost scared to ask the wrong questions that we don't ask any questions at all. But hopefully this conversation just opened up people's eyes and kind of gave them that little permission to be brave and start pursuing what can happen when they start to invest. I'm so excited for everyone to listen. Thank you. Yeah. And I would say whatever question you have, even if you're like, well, I don't really know how to ask this question. I promise you somebody that you know, that you love, that you care about has the same question. So we just need someone to like step up and ask, and then we can all share it with each other. Amen to that. There are no dumb questions. Just like your first grade teacher said, (laughs) it still stands true today as adults. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Jenna. Ooh, I just absolutely loved this conversation. And I mean, Shinabo really talked about how she created her business out of a need. Have you ever paid attention to the questions that people ask you and and start to notice that there's a trend or there's a lack of information or there's a lack of people with your expertise? I think it's amazing how she created this business to empower other people in the way that she learned to be empowered when it came to investing. And I think it's just such a solid reminder, not just on the investing front, but on the front that we have these gifts, this unconscious competence sometimes, and these experiences or education that give us permission to start moving forward in a way that can serve other people, but also to help us to create a bigger impact and even create an income. And I love talking about the topic of investing because I know for me, I had a lot of mindset barriers around it. And I delayed investing for a long time because I just felt like I wasn't someone who was capable of doing it or understanding it. And so I hope today kind of cracked the code even just slightly on giving you permission to pursue investing and to understand it and to start today. I am so grateful to be able to host these conversations on the podcast, and I'm even more grateful that you, my friend, are listening in. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Gold Digger Podcast. Until next time, keep on digging your biggest goals. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of the Gold Digger Podcast. Did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, head over to golddiggerpodcast.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's sponsors. And if you're looking for a new crew of movers and shakers like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for gold diggers on Facebook. The link's waiting for you at golddiggerpodcast.com. 